You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Happy birthday to Chris When do you think the last time you started a pod well was? <laughs> I think this is amazing content. Happy birthday. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. This is Brett Sedona, Chris Knee, birthday boy here. Uh, it's your birthday and Valentine's Day. What are you doing? Uh, the wife's leaving town, so I guess I'm just celebrating my birthday at Dick Hauser tonight. You'll be the first person ever to not have sex on their birthday and Valentine's Day combined. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right. We, uh, we do have a pretty decent amount to get to because there's a lot going on in the world of, uh, of Florida State athletics, but... This is like an old school on the bench with uh, Chris and myself before we were on the bench. And it was just the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Those were the days. <laughs> not quite as, not quite as uh, fluid of a, of, a, of a name on the bench. Sounds much better. Chris and I want to talk about tour of duty. Uh, that's what the first part of this podcast is going to be devoted to. Then we'll do some news and notes with all the other stuff going on in the world of FSU athletics. Baseball opening uh, today and, and basketball and some scheduling stuff. But tour of duty. It is FSU's off-season conditioning drills. They are mat drills. Uh, for those of you who don't know what mat drills are, well, Chris, I, let me get you do the great one, one and a half, two-minute rundown of, of set the scene for us, please, what mat drills are and what we did yesterday. Tour of duty is basically an hour to an hour and a half uh, aggressive workout is probably the best way of describing it. It's a four-station, for the most part, item. One is mat drills where multiple units are going at a time. With mat drills, you're doing, you know, you're tumbling onto them, Pushing up, getting off, hustling to where the ball is at, where they, you know, get to your spot type thing. And it's just a constant on the go. And the thing with Matro is it's a lot of up, down, fast movement, aggressive football movement. You know, you get your legs chopped out by a lineman, you got to get up and still be aggressive to the plate. It's kind of simulating that idea. Then they had another one where you're working over the bags and then doing, you know, you can do an eight drill or just a circle drill around essentially in large hula hoop working on getting low, turning the corner, being aggressive, finishing the drill. Agility. Yeah, agility is part of that. Another one was a lot of hand-eye coordination. It was kind of a X spot where you had four tennis balls to set up on little cones with a center basket. It was a race, a competition of two teams. You're working aggressively to get it there. It's about getting low, bending your knees, bending your body, being aggressive with your movements, being quick with your movements and short with your movements. Uh, small area quickness is kind of an idea that's simulated there. And the other one is essentially a two-man race, being aggressive. And it's, you know, for that, it's kind of a linebacker's getting to the spot of a running back is what it's simulating or O-line working to the second level together for a combo block to free guys. So they all kind of replicate ideas you're going to do on the football field. But the real reason you do them is, one, to build mental toughness. To build discipline, to build effort, good old Ted's making an appearance, toughness, effort, discipline. And it's also about just kind of pushing guys and seeing who who's going to bring it in the first minute and who's going to still be bringing it in an hour and 15. 
And it was hot and humid yesterday in there. It was not a particularly nice morning for 6 a.m. I'm more than you know, February. yesterday smelling. Oh, God. Um, so they really got after it. I, my main observation, it's continuous energy. Norvell's there. He's present. He is knee-deep in it. You would not know he was a head coach. He's just an odd guy getting after it, and he's staying in the backside of every guy on that thing, and he, he wants them to be disciplined. His staff, you know, they're still filling themselves out a little bit as a unit working together. But the consistent theme I saw from Coach Thompson, I saw it from Yak, saw it from others, was they want you to finish, and if you don't, you're going to pay the piper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yak push-ups. Was, yeah, Yak was quick with the push-ups if you didn't finish a drill. Coach Thompson essentially just kept driving home the point of you can't cut corners. Cutting corners does not equate to success. So there was a lot of that. I, I mean, it, everybody does off-season workouts. It's not reinventing the wheel. The biggest thing I noticed was that there was no wasted movement and there was nobody out there that shouldn't have been out there. And everybody involved with the football program, like, for example, Carlos Lachlan, high school relations, he's involved in it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's kind of participating. And it's a all-inclusive football experience for that football team. It's, you know, 185 on the scholarships, the walk-ons, every coach that's going to have a say in what they do on the field, and everybody who's involved in the process of assembling and putting together a football team. And I also, for me, I caught myself watching uh, Josh Storm, strength and conditioning coordinator, and his staff pretty closely because it was kind of our first real experience of seeing them in action. Storms is a scary, aggressive, (laughs) big man who, yeah, I like. He, he looks I, like I would a, he take looks it like from him. He was born to be a strength and conditioning yeah, coach, right? But like he, but he, I he was living on the mat. He would start with the guys at the beginning of the mat. He would cross the mat with him. He would finish with him. He would be driving home to point, kind of similar to what Mike Norvell did. A lot of he hung around the mat quite a bit on the day. Um, but Storms is he's constant energy, and you you need strength and conditioning coaches to be the guy that kind of is a motor of the program because they have more involvement with the student athlete than pretty much anybody in the football program. And they're able to actually spend more time with them than coaches because of idiotic NCAA rules that limit them to essentially eight hours this time of year where a coach can deal with the kid. So it's more about eight hours of like on-field involvement right. type of deal. So it's more about strength and conditioning be able to drive the point home. I had two takeaways, well, a lot of takeaways, but two big ones. One was the energy that you mentioned uh, through Coach Norvell, through all the assistant coaches, how that trickles down to the players, how it was this totally invested program-wide event, and they're doing this several times a week. Uh, so that's very interesting in, in the way that, that it was all hands on deck and, and the, the energy of it was really encouraging, uh, that it's palpable as soon as you walk in there you can feel it that place is buzzing the other thing to me chris that i liked that i thought was very encouraging was it was a well-oiled machine all the people you mentioned and you're talking about hundreds of people that are involved in this process between players coaches staffers uh, seeing the managers the equipment managers going out there like the, the, pit, NASA, crew, the, pit, crew, the pit crew as uh, norvell referred to going to wipe down the mats between reps how efficiently it was done dude it, it was humming now I think there's probably still some things that they're trying to work out and smooth out a little bit. Coach Norvell admitted to as much, but you see the structure of something that can be really productive. That's all it comes down to results, right? Like yeah. they, they have to win on the field for guys to continue to buy in, but you're seeing early signs of something cohesive, which S- I like. Summer workout programs are the undergrad course. They're weeding your ass out. Mm-hmm. Are you made for this major? Can you handle being an FSU football player in this program with the demands that they're going to ask of you? That's what this program is about. 
It's about seeing who's willing to be that guy and who's not capable yeah. or ready to be that guy or just not willing to be that guy. And you see that. I mean, it, it, they're not kicking a guy out right then and there, but it's making it abundantly clear who's on a train and who's just going to stand by and collect their scholarship money. And they do that partially with this tier system, this point yeah. system that you had asked about. Uh, you could see the guys in different jerseys. Did a little bit of digging on it because I people kept asking yesterday asking about what the different jersey colors mean so they have a black jersey game jersey that we've we seen, saw nobody seen in before. that we have, didn't see anyone in there that's like the crown jewel that's what you want to aspire to be now they keep the points my understanding is it's like a combination of what you're doing in the weight room how you're doing this was interesting Chris you asked coach Norvell about uh, the jerseys and he talked about that they're evaluating Dude, they're going back and looking at film of the workouts that we saw, like of the tour of duty, to see body language and judging who's finishing, who who's, you know, if they're having a tough rep, who bounces back. Like they're going a total assessment. Uh, also, class attendance, all, all these factors are going into what these jerseys are. Apparently, it's a day to day basis. So if you have a bad day, you can get bumped down pretty quickly. So we have the black jersey. That's the top. Again, Chris said we didn't see anything, anyone wearing that. Next up, the white jersey, white game jersey. Uh, pretty decent amount of guys in there. Mm-hmm. I think that's you're meeting expectations. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Garnet jersey. Game jersey. Garnet game jersey means... Uh, you're getting there. You, you're think, pretty yeah, close. You're doing big, a good job, but yep, it's got a little bit to go. That's next. Uh, now, this is where I have a little bit of confusion. I was told T-shirts initially, but they weren't wearing T-shirts. I think it's like the practice jersey the, is more The Garnet practice there. jersey. Yeah. Uh, would be the next in line. And that, that tend to see – good amount of guys wearing that tend to be younger guys, it seemed like, yesterday. Guys yeah. who are getting acclimated to it. I think Zane Herring, for example, yeah. was And Zane actually looked pretty that. good yesterday. Yeah, and, like he belonged. I think, and Carter Boatwright, I think, may have been another one. I think there's some guys that are just, you know, getting used to this. This is new to some guys and, you know, some like hanging out at the trash can and letting it fly once in a while because they're just not used to it. There was a lot of barfing. And I figure some of these guys, the, the freshmen, were playing high school football two months ago. Uh, and then finally there's the orange jerseys. Everybody hates orange. And first when we walked in, I was like, oh, well, Marvin Wilson's wearing orange. And Demarion and Terry, I'm like, that must be a good thing. And I think a lot of uh, our, our readers who saw, or who saw a video that we posted on Knowles 24-7 thought the same thing. Uh, then, then Wayne, I said that to Wayne McGay, he had the Democrat, and, you know, Wayne's... Uh, Hatred of Florida runs pretty deep, and he looks at me. He goes, "You don't wear orange in this jer- or you don't wear orange in, in this facility anywhere around here." I said, "Oh, you're, you're probably right." And did a little digging. Orange, you don't want to wear, and then that can mean several things. It can mean that you're not living up to expectations and the standard of you know, weight and conditioning or, or tour of duty. Could mean that you missed the class. Could mean that you get some off. There's abundant of things again, like the rewarding for a black or for a white jersey it's a public shaming to a degree it's a dunce cap is essentially yeah, what I mean, it is it's putting you in the corner and letting you know that you need to do better i don't know this for a fact this is me just kind of hypothesizing i think tamorian terry and marvin wilson wearing it is kind of a a message setter as much well, as because seeing some guys in it makes sense seeing marvin wilson it made everyone kind of raise an eyebrow one of the most refreshing moments for me yesterday was when uh the canned question of leaders was asked to norvell mm-hmm. and he essentially shot it down like no no we don't no, have any at this point yet. we're not there 
And he's like, words don't equate to being a leader. Mm-hmm. Doing it, the act of doing it, when that speaks for itself. And doing it every leadership. single yeah. day, which is what he and kept. I, he said That point's being driven home, and yes. it needs to be driven home. That FSU hasn't had good leadership in a long, long time, and that's not a knock on any guy who we would dub a leader in recent years. No, because that trickles up to the very top of the program. Yeah, we've called Blackman a leader. We've called Wilson a leader. There's been others already last couple of years we've called leaders, and they have led in their own way. But this program – from a culture leadership standpoint, it needs revolution mm-hmm. or renaissance, as we like to say around uh-huh. these parts. Uh-huh. There was another million dollar donation in the past week. Hey, whatever. Yes. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. I got distracted. That was a good reference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one thing we're going from jerseys to uh, to that type of leadership. Uh, I don't want to judge too much based on what we saw on one day, man. Like, it, it was just one day, and we don't have enough context. We're not out there last year. We're not out there at all this year to kind of judge what it looked like. So I want to kind of pump the brakes a little bit as much as I know listeners want to hear us do recap. We'll tell, tell you, like, who looked good and, and maybe who we think needs to become more committed. The one, the one thing <laughs> that stuck out to me, and I tweeted it, we already know who it's going to be. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. So, 72, you need to get your ass in gear, buddy. I mean, it's no secret. <laughs> like, do it. Come Mike, on. Mike Arnold that, did that was not embarrassing have, to did watch not have good reps. I don't know what the story is behind there. It did not look good. Uh, and it needs to get better quickly for him because uh, Chris said they're going to be weed out season pretty soon. Um, but but the one thing that really stuck out to me as we're talking about leadership and, and culture, Chris, is I heard it pretty early on in the day. I didn't get video of it. I got a, I turned on the video right after it was said, and so I missed it. But there was a player, I won't mention who, there was a player who basically looked at, at the group around him, and he, this is a guy who's been around under Jimbo Fisher and under Willie Taggart and, and told everyone, we, we, we can't cheat this shit like we did last year. And my ears perk up when I hear that. Uh, and I you know, made the rounds on social media, and I based a column around it because the fact that it had to be said at all, I thought was was telling. I I throw a ounce of caution to the wind because two years ago we were having similar conversations right. of the strength and conditioning program under Vic Fulori at the end of Jimbo had fallen off. Guys were cutting corners. It wasn't doing well. There seemed to be a re, uh, reinvigoration of it at the beginning of the Odorende Willie Taggart era. Mm-hmm. Uh, we come to realize that Odorende is probably not really truthfully very well qualified to do that job. And that showed over a two-year period. And now here we are with Storms, who I do believe is much more qualified to do the job. That's not a belief. I, don't, I mean, just right, based on resume, he right. is. And I don't, I don't know a ton about strength and conditioning. I mean, <laughs> hell, if you look at me, no. you can read the book at the cover. Don't say that. But, uh, don't say that. you know, people that I do know who know a thing or two about it believe that Storms is a qualified individual to handle the job. So, I, I you know, I don't love saying, oh, God, it's all... It's, that's it's what, going the right way. I don't what, want to be that guy. That's what everyone writes whenever there's new yes. coaching staff. I mean, and so I, I, I'm, I want to get away from being that guy. <laughs> stuff. I really do. Yeah. I, I, I want to be cautious about everything until it's proven. I, I was talking to someone on the phone yesterday, someone close to the program who all have – I enjoy our conversations quite a bit. They always end up lasting an hour and, and pick each other's brain on stuff. And I kept – trying to hold myself back because I really like what I'm seeing with the program, uh, but I feel like I've been bur- burned before. What We're else? all a little jaded at this point. I think so. You see it on the message board. Like, there's this, like, eh, but well, kind of mentality, and it's understandable. I feel that way. I, I feel it in my coverage. I feel it in my writing. I feel like everything needs to be qualified with we have to wait and see. I, after we walked out of the building, interviewed Mike Norvell, and we were 
going to breakfast to work on me, you and Zach. Two Power up. Two thoughts that entered my mind. One was these guys look like they know how they want to go about doing business to get the best results they can. Mm -hmm. I took that away from yesterday, and that's a – that's a two-month process of gathering thoughts on them, watching them recruit, watching them operate, talking to guys they've dealt with, kind of talking to guys that they've talked to from the prior roster, stuff like that. So that that's not a singular day thought. That's more to this point in the process, I feel that's like. That's a theme. Yeah. The other one was, damn, they're not real talented. Like, I was not very impressed by the football team I was watching on that field, just as a whole. The offensive line footwork. Just there's Sluggish. a lot of uh, guys falling on the ground a lot. Yeah. A lot of injured guys who they need if they're going to be good. Uh, mm-hmm. Kando, Corbin are two of those that immediately come to mind. Corey Durden's another well, one. The, the guys Akeem who are in the cor- the guys who are the corner not practicing. There's probably like ten starters yeah. there. So it may be. Tough and then to you look at challenge. quarterback and it's Blackman. We can have a hour long discussion about whether or not James Blackman should be the starter. But right now he probably would be. Just because of what they have currently on the roster, They're giving him a legitimate and, chance, and there's a lot to be learned at that position with him under new guidance, and if he can, you know, mature emotionally and handle it better. I just, I, you know, I've been around this program a long, long time, and I've seen some really, really talented rosters, and I've seen some rosters that eh, left a lot to be desired. And yesterday definitely fell more on that second end than the first end for me. One thing that I, I know I missed on when Willie Taggart first came aboard was I was like, even if he lasts only a couple, three years or so, and obviously it was shorter than that, I thought the roster would be better than what he inherited. Well, I think the bottom of the roster is better. The first eight months of Willie said that was going to be the case. The recruiting was at a high enough level. Then they played games and showed they couldn't coach. Right. And and one thing, and then we'll move off Willie, but when you talk about Odorende and and the things, we were actually seeing progress and results early on, just like we're seeing now. So much of the strength and conditioning programs about buy-in and consistency. Do you remember, I mean, the spring, like, that guys were having some physical transformations, and then fall camp came around, and offensive linemen put on bad weight over the offseason. So and then B Tech happened, and, well, then, and all, then all of the momentum just evaporated All the work of the program uh, became evident again. I thought all the goodwill that they had bought, you know, brought into started to kind of fall off the face of the planet, and Willie didn't have a – we'll do the Willie tell-all in the offseason uh, – my point is, this is still a work in progress. We're still judging this. We're still trying to see what they can do. This isn't a complete puzzle that, that Chris and I are talking about. This is just part of it. Uh, I go into the roster deficiencies. Yeah, man, that's very clear. It's, this isn't an overly athletic or explosive group. That They have work to do. That The reinforcements are, are needed. I mean, I a few guys impressed. That. I don't want people to think, oh, my God, we're awful. No, there were a few guys that impressed, and some of them were younger guys. Derek McClendon. McClendon certainly had caught my eye. He, ton of he was as bouncy an hour into yeah. it as he was in the first minute, the part. Quayshon, leading the charge. Quayshon Fuller in that group had uh, <coughs> excuse me, had better. Uh, he looked quicker. He's someone yeah, who's moving. He's from. done a good job reshaping his body, and he has to because they're asking him to play outside yeah. now. Uh, so that was encouraging to see. I'm trying to stick Brian Robinson was a newcomer that I thought looked good. Stephen Dix looks like a million bucks. Uh, Stephen um, Dix is someone that Norvell has brought up himself. Yeah. Adam Fuller has brought up. The term "work" is not one that Stephen Dix struggles. Physically, with. He, he looks fully buys into that concept. I want to see how he looks with pads on, right. uh, how athletic he is, but he passes the eye test. He looks like a guy you want stepping off the bus first. Uh, trying to think of other guys who who kind of. I was I was happy to see J Rob wasn't working out. Neither was Dante Lucas. Dante was on a little roller cart for the foot leg injury and. J-Rob, I think, is still coming back from... I think it was a hand or wrist. Yeah, hand, wrist, thumb, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, 
but they were both staying alongside groups and they were involved. They were, you know, helping guys along. Legitimately involved too. Like, yeah. You, you should, the they weren't point, doing it for the camera. Dante right. was literally stalking people constantly throughout the day and doing mm-hmm. it. And that's Dante's personality largely. But J-Rob, that's a little bit of a out-of-his-shell personality type. And that's good to see as a guy who is a veteran. At one point, the offensive line had to cross from one side of the field to the other. And Dante Lucas gets on his scooter. And scoot, starts, scoot, scoot. He's putting 330 pounds behind the with every single step on the good leg that he could. Uh, and like flew across the field, but that I think more so we're looking for positives. You're looking for things to be excited about, to, to look for optimism. There was energy. Uh, there were guys who seemed engaged and committed to to what this coaching staff is doing right now. Again, there, there's a lot of time. There's going to have to be on field results, but there's some buy-in that we're seeing early signs of. But there's other guys who need to buy in. Mike, Mike Arnold, Mike Arnold the, leads that charge. He was the most underwhelming guy out there yesterday. Yeah. There's other guys that certainly need to put the work in to get themselves in a position to be potential contributors to this football roster, yeah. too. Uh, the, the lack of running backs participating, again, it's obviously... Yeah, Anthony Grant first. looked like a dude who had missed a full, full season, season of, and of yeah. everything. You know, on-field, off-field, all of it. Yeah. He looked it. So there, there's going to be some... There's question marks that things are going to have to be worked out quite a bit, and I don't think it's an overnight fix. But I did leave it feeling encouraged that there is a there's a plan that that Mike Norvell knows what he's looking at, he knows what he's looking for, uh, and I feel confident that he has a game plan to get to that point. I feel like Norvell is a guy who wants to win immediately, but also understands the work it's going to take to turn this thing around. Yeah, at the I same agree. time, like he's not one. To say we'll sacrifice first game if it means long-term success. But he is focused on long-term success while trying to be successful in the short term as well. I think his goal is to maximize what he has this year and win the games they should win with the talent that they do have mm-hmm. versus the opponents they do face. Because let's be honest, the ACC is not death row. You know, Clemson obviously is, but after that, well, like uh, it's all a lot of wide-open field. You know, it's a great example of, of that mindset is FSU every ACC team has some say or at least a request for where they want the bye week and we've talked about the schedule and FSU's is after that stretch and the the non-conference and you're the traveling long to trip to Boise yep. but you put the you put the it's an early bye week which I don't think probably not a huge fan of on the other side of that it's right before NC State in conference play if I'm not mistaken sounds right but it's eight consecutive I conference games have, after it I should have checked before but they're not putting it before Clemson this year right which the last staff legitimately thought they had a chance against Clemson each of the last two seasons. Mm. And they weren't even freaking close. Yeah. Competitive. Um, so, so, yeah, there's another saying, like, okay, we got to beat NC State. I, I like, I'm excited. I'm very optimistic about, cautiously optimistic, but I'm excited about everything we've seen so far. Uh, last thing, that, uh, kind of on topic, I was thinking about this last night, Chris, I'm trying to think of like what the warts are right now with Mike Norvell. Like what? Like right now, everything just seems like we're in the honeymoon phase. Yeah, I mean, and I, I just everyone's gonna have their flaws inherently. He's got to recruit at a higher level than he did to yeah. close out the cycle, but that's also a part of a transition class and getting in in mid to late December with a program that hasn't had success in three years. So I don't know if that's truly a wart on him, but this program does need to recruit at a higher level. Yeah. That is just a simple statement of fact. Um, I think the other thing for him is that it's going to be interesting to see how he makes personnel decisions. There was some 
hamstringing, hamstringing, how would you Hamstringing? That? Yeah. Hamstrung, whatever. Hamstring, hamstring. There was, FSU set themselves back some in the last couple of years by some personnel decisions they made. People they stuck with that be, they thought were going to be good for developing a program who were completely the opposite of that. I'm talking about DeAndre Francois, he's not the sole one, but he is one of them. They thought they could build a program around DeAndre Francois, he is not that guy. I think it's very important for this staff to understand who helps them win immediately, but who also helps them win long-term, and balancing those two effectively. Because I think last go-round, that was poorly balanced, and it set them back where they never got it going. Uh, Emmett Rice, no, that's true. Emmett Rice wearing number one. Yeah. Did we read anything into that? No, nah, I, mean, I I think Emmett's a guy that showed late last year that he's ready to kind of come into his own. And he, Emmett's biggest issue throughout his career has been staying healthy. Yeah, I mean, he's had multiple injuries that have set him back. He's kind of like the Kando rule. I think those guys are real talented, but they got to play for us to see it. And then speaking of injuries, uh, let's just go over that. I know we touched on some, but we'll do one one yeah. area here. Uh, Keem Dent saw with crutches. Yeah, um, left foot was wrapped up, sent into the side. Yeah, we don't know specifics on it, but there was rumor about an ankle injury. Yeah, uh, looks like to be true. Yeah, it looks in that general area. Dante Lucas, I heard last week he was on a scooter. He's still on the scooter. What were we reporting on that? That probably ready by the regular season. Yeah, I think the were. expectation is that he'll be fine in between spring and the start of preseason. Uh, some other guys over to the side, kind of with the non-full participants. Uh, Corey Durden, who had the shoulder cleaned up that he had so many issues with last year. Yeah, I think kept popping in and out, I believe. Jay Sean Corbin, who had a pretty catastrophic injury at A&M the week hamstring. three last year, week right. two against Clemson. Um, Anthony Grant is coming back. LeBourne was on his side, but I think that may have been as much punishment as injury. He was doing some. He looked fine. He looked. He was doing he some was, individual work that looked like something you would make a guy who he was is he was, being punished. He was running, so it wasn't upper. Or it he was also body. pushing a metal plate while bent over yeah. down the sideline. So line. it wasn't upper body. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Jordan who Travis was. was over there. He yeah. was doing some of the running too. So I'm not sure what the deal is there. Uh, Keyshawn Helton. Kando was over there. Keyshawn Helton uh, mm-hmm. was there, and uh, that was someone who was. Uh, I've been told that he's becoming more vocal, like during the actual. I know we're in the offseason. We can talk about guys being vocal, and everyone wants to hear about it. But he's kind of coming into his own during the rehab process. Uh, some guys, when you go through that, uh, you get a different perspective. When you, you got to see football taken away from you, and he's become more. He was in there like barking at guys in the rehab I think circle. Helton's one of those guys who can't. Tu- Helton's one of those guys who can't turn it yeah. off. Like he, he's. You don't get to where he's at by not being competitive as all hell. And now, but that, that's I think kind of bleeding over to like other guys too, yeah. with him getting in their face and, and saying like, "Pick it up, like this this matters." So that was good to see. I don't think Helton's going to be. I only want to see much of him in the spring. I don't anticipate even probably see him at the start of the regular season. I do think the goal is for him to be back 100 percent sometime in 2020, though. Uh, just the, in, what, the injury happened in the second part of the year, and, and it was you know, multiple uh, tears. Pokey, who returned during last regular season, was working out, which was good to see. That he was, was in the no. orange, though. He was in the yeah, orange. he was in the orange. You're right. Uh, Woodby um, was uh, working out. We didn't uh, see DeKalen Brooks. We've been told he has an injury, but we did not actually see him yesterday, correct? Correct. Uh, not Unless we missed him. Right, which is uh, always a possibility, possible, but we but tried to lay them. eyes on everybody. Hampson Nazruddin was yep. with the rehabbing guys uh Darius Washington with the rehabbing guys I know you got the shoulder cleaned up we reported that back in the regular season try to think if there's anyone else nothing that's mostly everyone so yeah that that's the that's the recap of the tour of duty uh, hopefully 
as much insight as we can give you with just watching guys run around for an hour. So uh, when we come back, we'll go over kind of some of the scheduling for the spring, uh, some of the scheduling for future football games, and Chris's favorite topics. (laughs) Happy birthday, buddy. Basketball and baseball. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Let's uh, let's finish this off, Chris. I'll give you your birthday present to talk about hoops and baseball in a minute. First, let's, let's talk about the schedule news that came out this week. Uh, the big one, obviously, FSU, LSU. I know that's been uh, in the works for a while now, but it's now official. The school has announced it. FSU will meet... Uh, We'll meet LSU at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans on September 4th, 2022. And uh, in Orlando, 407, what up? Camping World Stadium, September 3rd, 2023. Does does anybody actually like Camping World Stadium? Not. Like, I've been there for football and multiple other events, and I've never actually had a pleasant experience, both as a fan and medium. It's a cluster outside. Uh, It's not in the best area of Orlando, but more so just the organization of it. Not great, uh, and then inside, obviously, kind of. I don't know. It's gotten better. They've done upgrades to it. It's it's. I mean, yeah, it looks it aesthetically nicer. Uh, whatever. Yeah, you know, when you're over there, go to Pom Poms. It's about ten minutes away. You can get the best sandwich you'll ever have in your life. Get some tea. Feel fancy. I'm just tired of being on Orlando for games. I don't need a neutral in Orlando. Give me Jacksonville. Give me somewhere else. I just I don't need. Try to do a neutral in Jacksonville and the hurricane kind of messed that up. Yeah, uh, you know, I know there was a lot of talking points, and Josh and I talked about this back when this uh, this story first came out a few months ago. That there was likely going to be a, a, a two game series between the two teams. I, I wish that it was at Doak and at Death Valley. I think uh, we've seen FSU start to schedule towards that. You know, with Alabama and, and Georgia. Georgia. Uh, it is what it is. Hey, you know, I know Orlando. Whatever, take the family to to. Disney World for the weekend, and then you get to go to New Orleans the year before. Like whatever, that's that's. It, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite sayings. The other scheduling news that came with that though was that uh, Jacksonville State will be coming to Tallahassee in 2021. That completes the 2021 schedule for FSU non-conference that year is Notre Dame and Jacksonville State, as well as UMass in Tallahassee. FSU. Walt Bell, if he's there still, yeah, we'll do you see. think you will? 
Shelby? And FSU also travels to Florida that year. Like a fire coach after two years? Hmm? That's unheard of! Wow. It's a new world we live in. And uh, 2023, they added Southern Miss and Tallahassee. I actually really like the Southern Miss edition. I love Southern Miss. It's someone they have some tradition with. It's regionally interesting. They'll bring some fans, not a ton, but they'll bring some. I, I can live with that. I... There needs to be more games in Doak. It, I don't like the fact that we've become so obsessed as a school over the last decade and now seeping into the early 2020s with having neutral site. And I understood why we were doing it at one point because the program was at an elite level. And I know you schedule so far out that you can't predict that it was going to go from elite to what it is. But it irks me that so many games have been taken away from Doak. Okay. There hasn't been enough marquee games, and some of that's FSU not being good, in recent years, but there's not been enough marquee games in Doak in recent years. The games like Notre Dame in, what, 2014, Oklahoma in the early 2010s, those were awesome moments. And I'm a kid that grew up, you know, in the mid-90s, late-90s with great games in Doak, early 2000s. I love that. I I think they need to get back to that. And I understand it's difficult for home and homes, and I understand all the issues, but hey, you only got, like, two of them you got to schedule a year, so work real hard. And I know the LSU, the timing of the LSU announcement uh, doesn't really show that they're focusing on that, but that was in the works, I think, even before the Alabama and Georgia stuff, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I definitely think David Coburn prefers home and home. Yeah, I think we're I think we're seeing more of that. Yeah, I like the Southern Miss game. Like, I have this weird, like, romanticized version of, like, Southern Miss, Troy, some of these, t- like, small Southern colleges that, like, punch above the weight class traditionally, and I, I don't know. Well, last time FSU played Jacksonville State, they almost lost, right? You weren't covering the team then. Uh, that FSU, was back with EJ? Uh, no, I think Potter. that was, if I remember correctly, that was a Drew Weatherford oh, joint. <laughs> um, but FSU was down real late in that game and scored, if I recall correctly, a couple times in the final minutes to squeeze one out, but it was not a fun affair. Is Louisiana, uh, the last time FSU played Louisiana, they almost <laughs> lost too. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember the last time they played Louisiana. Or by thinking, I'm thinking. You're thinking. I'm thinking. thinking That's. I'm not the raging case. Sorry, guys. When did they change to away from Lafayette? Yeah, from ULL to UL. Two or three years. Is that more confusion in my mind? Yeah. Because I don't know which ones. Which I noticed that more. They they traditionally have a pretty solid softball program. I think that's actually the first time I realized they had gone away from that. All right, we're going. We're going off the the rails here. I'm messing up teams and. You hate balls that are played with non obtuse balls. Let's talk about balls. Oh God. Obtuse ones. Do you want to talk about hoops? Or, uh, let's talk about hoops because it's your birthday. I'll let you talk about hoops, but I'm going to needle you a little bit. Are you still mad over the Duke call? Are you uh, still mad? It's been a week. I, I overre- well, <laughs> overreacted. It's probably an easy thing if you saw my tweet. Um, uh, here's the thing. The dude chicken-winged before the you know issue with Trent, and then he travels after the issue with Trent. So the fact that he got two free throws and they got the ball out of it still pisses me off. Plus, ACC officiating is just garbage. And it's not FSU bias. It's just garbage. It's crappy officiating. Watching the end of Georgia Tech, Louisville, the night, there's a block on the glass. Georgia Tech gets run out. Easy lay-in. I think it pushes their lead to six. Instead, they whistle that basket off and review if it's a block. Instead of letting it play through and then reviewing. It's just crappy officiating. And it's far from only the ACC. I watch a lot of AAC, you know, some Pac-12 after dark stuff. Officiating's off. And it drives me nuts. And I absolutely hate that officiating tends to ramp up its awfulness 
in the final minutes of games. A Zodi official thinks it's more important for them to be bad in the final four minutes of a basketball game. It could game. be that you're paying more attention to it. No, there's always more reviews late, and I know it's because, well, we got to get it right here because, you know, if we screwed it up in the first four minutes, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't last four minutes. Instead, just do your damn job right the whole time. FSU at Duke is always a poorly officiated game. It wasn't on the level of the Alexander Johnson debacle that got guys suspended on the officiating crew many years ago. But it was still crappy the other night. So to answer the question, you are, yeah, you I'm, are I'm still, still mad. I am still pretty mad about it. I, I really hate officiating. Can we talk about the the positive part of this basketball program is, one, the expectations and how that continues to shift in a way that, like, people are really, really thinking that this is a team that's going to make a deep run. And, and when they lose a game, uh, there's not the fire ham stuff, which it was yeah. a few years ago, but there is uh, people upset, but also, like, there's an expectation of them bouncing back right, and being of, of successful. Right, optimism, too, yeah. with it. It's, it's yeah. a very different feel than I've well, seen around the They program. didn't play very well at Duke. Mm-hmm. I mean, they started horrible. What they couldn't they, hit a shot off their life depending on it. What were they at the free throw line? Uh, Percentage-wise, around 60. It was yeah. one of their worst appearances of the year. I mean, they they kind of shot themselves in the foot. They had more than enough opportunities to win that game. They also played themselves in a position to win that game because they played some great defense and they they played very hard. They kind of grinded that one out and made Duke play their style of game. So that's a very big positive to me. I, you know, if they play Duke again, I'm not one of these people. I thought they could beat Duke at Duke. I didn't go in that game. I thought Vernon Carey would be more successful than he was. He did have a double-double, but he had to work his ass off for it. Um, I was surprised that, you know, uh, Trey had the kind of game he did for them and Jared for Duke. I was surprised by that, but... FSU can play with Duke. FSU can play with anybody. Right. There, I don't think there's anybody in the country that is head and shoulders better than FSU basketball. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. I think we've hit a, a shift in in the narrative and the way people view this program. People will be more surprised with a blowout loss to anyone than a win over anyone. No doubt. Like, if they lost by 10 points, people would be and like, what? Sometimes you have a bad night. Sometimes you don't play well and you know, it gets away from you and you try to foul at the end and they make all their free throws and you lose by double digits. That happens sometimes. But, no, I wholeheartedly agree. FSU can play with anybody. They can also, at times, play pretty poorly and down the competition. But they win games. They always win in the end against the teams they probably should beat. They've been very good about that this year, minus the pit game. That was the opener. That was stupid because the ACC thought everybody needed a conference game to open with. Who do they? Uh... Syracuse is Saturday. Uh, big news with that is Syracuse's leading scores questionable he got hurt in warm-ups before their game against nc state he's averaging 18.6 per game yeah i think he'll play but it's interesting to see how effective he'll be he's a guy that plays pretty much all game i think he averages 36 minutes per game so he's a guy that's a huge piece to a team that doesn't have much depth um you know for fsu they need to hold serve at home they need to win they're probably gonna at best finish second in conference i think duke's gonna end up winning this thing at this point that Louisville loss to Georgia Tech kind of opened it up, and Duke probably has the easiest path to the end. FSU does host Louisville a little over a week, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, that's a big game for both of those teams for conference standings. But FSU is in good position to get to double bye in the ACC tournament, and you know right now they're sitting. Last week they did the top sixteen reveal, and FSU was a number ten overall seed and a three seed, and I don't think they're gonna deviate much from that. Maybe contend for a two. I think there are two or three at the end of the year. When are we going to do the basketball-specific pod? You know, I don't know. Shem's been real busy. I've been real busy. And with baseball starting, that doesn't alleviate it a whole lot. But maybe uh, around the Louisville game would be a good time. That's probably the biggest marquee game remaining for us. Or 
I, me and Sham at this point are both planning to go to the ACC tournament, so maybe we'll do something right before that. We get ten five star reviews. We need ten. <laughs> Look at you pedaling, <laughs> pedaling for reviews. <laughs> we need ten five star reviews. Give us a five star review. Say we want a knee basketball podcast in the review. Take a screenshot, put it on the message board. Uh, once we get to ten, we'll do the basketball specific podcast for Chris. Or if you guys do a hundred five star reviews, we won't do any of the basketball podcasts, and I'll be happy about that. Why do you hate basketball? So I don't. I just like. To, Is I it because the Orlando Magic have been so bad for most of our lives? <laughs> I just like to see you not happy. Baseball opening day. Yeah. Blow out the candle, big boy. It's your birthday. Talk yeah. about it. Um, Mike Martin Jr.'s first game as head coach. Obviously, going to look a little different. Jimmy Bellinger and Mike Metcalf are his assistants. Jimmy will be handling the pitchers. I've been impressed by Jimmy. I think the pitchers have been impressed by Jimmy too. Pitching's going to be the name of the game for this team. They feel pretty good about what they have coming back. C.J. Van Eyck is the ace. He's a Golden Spikes Award, uh, preseason watch list kind of guy. Consistently second or third national um, All-American teams. Shane Drohan's probably the biggest key to that staff. He's a guy that probably has the best stuff of anybody on the whole staff. He really struggled with the concept of pitching last year. He would very much, when it went bad, kind of keep going bad and just struggled to bounce back. They believe he's figured it out. They sped him up some. He had a really good fall. I watched him twice in the fall. Mighty impressed both times. That has carried over to the preseason. They feel real good about. And then Connor Grady is kind of steady Eddie, Sunday starter, guy that can win a lot of games for you. Nothing super special about what Connor does on the mound, but he's a good pitcher. And he's a guy that's very cool, calm, and collected, which you kind of need for a guy who's going to probably buy you some innings for those midweek guys you're going to lean on. A lot of middle relief arms. Antonio Velez lands, leads that bunch. Uh, Chase Haney's fifth-year senior. He's going to be the captain of this bunch. Both guys that can give you innings and calm things down. Jonas Scalaro is another one who's done that a lot. Tyler Ahern is a name that we heard yesterday. I think Tyler is a midweek starter potential type guy or middle relief guy. But they feel like he's starting to kind of come along and figure things out. I think Jimmy's been good for guys who have good stuff, who have struggled with being effective. I think he's helping them kind of meet in the middle and figure out how to take what they're able to do with their arms and translate it. Closer, Bryce Hubbard's going to be the closer. He's a lefty, and everybody that you talk to over there is like, he can pitch. Like, he's nasty. He's a freshman, but he's been a guy that's been buzzed about for a good while here. Davis here is another guy. He's a Juco transfer. He can factor into that closing role. There's a couple other bodies they can throw out there. Lineup-wise, you know, they return Reese Albert with a healthy shoulder. Elijah Cabell, who needs to become more consistent at the plate, but he brings some power to the lineup. Robbie Martin led him in RBIs and batting average last year. He's back. He's another guy that's kind of your outfield. Your corners are going to be at first base Carter Smith, a senior veteran, backup catcher type. Carter's a very cool, calm, collected kid, kind of guy that will help you at the bottom of the lineup, but he'll help you at first by being solid defensively. Third's going to be a concern. Cooper Swanson's probably the starter today when we take the field for FSU. Um, they're going to have some issues at third. got to figure out Tyler Martin, which is Mike Jr.'s son. He enrolled mid-year. He's another guy that was competing at third. He's dealing with some throwing issues right now, apparently. That's why he's going to DH and probably be leadoff tonight. And then in the middle, you got Nander at short and Jackson Green at second. Those are both pretty solid guys that you expect. Jackson Green, baseball family kid. Nander, obviously, highly regarded when he came in last year. And behind the plate, you have Matty Nelson, everything you want in a catcher. He's a guy that handles his pitchers well. He can do a little bit at the plate. He is very much a coach on the field. He just, he kind of, Mike Martin Jr. and his father before him always loved catchers that were kind of that guy. Tony Ritchie, Buster Posey, um, you know, plenty of others over the years that they had behind that plate that just handled their pitchers well, kind of 
understand what they are looking for when they take the diamond, and he is that guy. Um, it's going to be fun. I mean, we're not going to learn anything from the opening series with Niagara. It is what it is. A couple weeks from now, they host FAU and Texas Tech for a weekend foursome. That will be where I think we'll get an idea of what they're good at, what they're bad at, what they need to work at, who and what they are. Yeah, they're going to have some up and downs. I think the hitting is going to be a little hit and miss um, at times. But uh, I think the approach will still be similar. Take pitches, drive guys up. I don't think they'll be as non-aggressive as they've been in the past. But at the end of the day, everybody you talk to over there believes this team is going as their pitching goes. And with pitching comes defense. I feel pretty good about the defense, except for at third. I think that's going to be a concern, as I said earlier. You just got 10 minutes of basketball and baseball talk. Best birthday ever. You feel, it's like post-coital. It's the closest thing to post-coital you're going to get today, buddy. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette on the back. <laughs> that's the last thing I wanted to get to. This is nicely done. Your ability to go in. You want me to drop cons- some news? Yeah. Football, you want me to bring it back? Yes. Defensive end Justice Reed, I expect him to visit FSU. From what I understand, he has said that visit. We should have a little news later. That's the Youngstown. Youngstown via Florida. He's like a seventh-year guy. He's older than I am. He's he's almost our age. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I mean, he he racked up double-digit sacks last year. He can be a big piece. V-Tech, FSU, kind of starting to look like it's going to be a battle of those two. All right. Hopefully they can beat out Virginia. See, I brought it back. You, you give me did. a little. You give me a little basketball and baseball. You rejuvenate. I'm, I'm oh, back. God, right. I'm back, I'm man. To alter the way I uh, I, I handle you. Uh, last thing about football: spring practice. So we put on the message board. I don't think we've talked about in the podcast. It will start on March seventh. They have uh, one, two, three practices before spring break. So it goes seventh, tenth, twelfth of March, and we'll be off for oh god, almost you can have two weeks. Cool. It resumes on, it resumes on the twenty fourth after spring break. Uh, there will be an off-campus scrimmage on the 28th, according to the schedule they put out. Uh, it'll probably, I don't want to say too much, it'll probably be out of Tallahassee. It won't be in Tallahassee. Within the Sunshine State? Mm-hmm. It's a small world after all. Uh, we'll see when it's announced. Uh, spring game, April 8th. And it looks like they have one more practice after on April 19th, according to the schedule they put out. Did you see that? Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't, they had a date there in the spring that Coach Harrell put out. And it, why else would you put April 19th on there? It makes no sense. I didn't count. I probably should have counted the amount of days. You only have 10 fingers, so the last, the last you have to count to 15, so it gets real tough. All right. You got to take your shoe off to do that one. All right. My plans for tonight. Got a little filet mignon action oh. going. Uh, uh-huh. the, the, the wife hasn't been feeling particularly well. She's probably just been planting this for like two weeks, so that way she doesn't have to hang out with me. Uh, we're just going to sit back and watch Titanic. Super romantic, super Brendan S. She could have sh- shared the door. I mean, let's be honest here. What are you going to? I'm going to FSU baseball with my little guy because my other little guy and my wife are going to Atlanta for a weekend to do a couple things together. And then I'll probably come home and uh, watch a little live PD. That's exactly what I want to do. You want to come over and watch? No, 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 man. No. no, I don't want to be present for that. If you want, I'll bring Carson. He can hang out with Willie. We can let Carson ride Willie. Your dog. The dog. I mean, we yeah, have to clarify yeah, yeah, your that. Dog. For those that have never listened before, you have a dog named Willie. He's made progress this week. Good. We're getting good. better. He started. Never mind. All right. For, for, I was going to talk about, he was wiping his ass on the floor the other day. And I was like, lethal simplicity. 
I can't wait till you have kids. Let me just be honest here. Like, I'm I'm gonna set up cameras in your house when you have kids. Well, I think I'm gonna be more anxious. In I your just room. it's gonna be fun to watch. They're gonna break you. All right. Well, it's not starting tonight because <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be sleeping on the couch by the time that that ship sinks. Uh, for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This is on the bench. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Happy Thursday.